Welcome to the Reframe. My name is Josiah Van Vliet. Uh, it's a difficult times here in the United States, across the world, frankly, but uh, we're doing an extra bad job here in the U.S., which is what I'd like to talk about. We live in a, a deeply corrupt society, which by itself would be bad enough. What's become clear recently is that that corruption has re reached a point of self-destructive mismanagement where the the values that our country is governed by and I, I'll, and values is going to be a, a tricky word so don't think you know what I mean by that yet but where the values that we govern by the values that we enact through how we run things have become practically impossible to enact where the values make themselves impossible to enact. The way we run this country is catastrophically bad in that there are actual catastrophes both happening and uh, headed our way, and that this amounts to a sort of gut unsustainable governance. Um, you know, we used to worry about the fall of Rome as being our future, but I think for reasons that are basically another podcast, um, we should worry about going down the way the USSR did. Um, and to make this all hopefully a little bit more clear, I have a tortured analogy for you. And that tortured analogy is structurally sound, although a little ridiculous, but uh, this is as close as I can get to levity this week. So bear with me. So I used to own a very old Toyota Corolla. Uh, that Toyota Corolla would now be officially an antique, but it was old even at the time. Um, and the way that I owned and operated that vehicle, the way I governed that vehicle, um, was according to basically a singular value, which was being a short-sighted cheapskate. Um, I did no maintenance. I never changed the oil. I never did anything for that car except put more gas in it and drive it. Now, I got things out of this, this set of values. Right. I got a cheap car for as little money as possible. I got extra money for beer. I got no Sundays spent changing the oil. You know, I got things out of it. But it was an unsustainable governance model. Right? And ultimately what happened is the oil pump seized. Now, that put me in a position where the values that I had been using made themselves uncontinuable, right? I could no longer be a short-sighted cheapskate because with a dead oil pump, the only thing I could do was change my values and start spending money on the car, a lot of money. I could abandon the car or I could drive it for a very short period of time and have it blow up, at which point I'm no longer a car owner. And that's the sort of, that's a very simple example of the sort of practical nihilism that I'm talking about. Being a short-sighted cheapskate was an unsustainable way to own a 1988 two-door Corolla. And that's exactly the sort of, mis that's, that's structurally the kind of mismanagement that I'm seeing in the way that we run the country. Now, predominantly in terms of existential threats, I'm talking about climate change. But given the civil unrest, 
that we've seen recently, it's not clear that we are, will make it that far as the country that we currently are. You know, I saw civilians burn down a police station and thought it was pretty much fair enough. That's bad. That's real bad. But let's talk about, like, what, so what are the values that the country is governed under that are so problematic? And again, value here is not personally held. It doesn't need, no, no one needs to believe in these values. No one needs to hold these values. This is as if I was anthropomorphizing the entire country and then telling you what it valued based on what the outcomes were, right? What were its, what, what, what are our culture's concerns? What do we care about? objectively from a from a neutral perspective or from an outsider perspective what does the country seem to care about that's what i mean by values and so what are the values that i mean that are so so self-destructive that they, they amount to practical nihilism we value capital over people even the rich work harder than they want to in order to make to increase capital I don't know if you've met really rich people, but they are not happier than you and me. They might, they're happier than, you know, abjectly poor people, but that's because being abjectly poor sucks, not because being rich is awesome. We confuse objective success with inherent merit. The meritocracy that we were supposed to have has all kinds of weird problems in it, not least of which is if you see someone successful, then you're supposed to be able to infer that they were a good person who tried hard, that's how they got successful. That is not how things work. Less, they work that way less now than they did before, and they work that way less here than they do in other places. Economic mobility, upward economic mobility, is much more possible, much more possible in other countries than it is here. Countries structurally racist. Being a person of color puts you at a serious disadvantage, puts throws you into all kinds of risks. It's profoundly unfair based on race. The country values conflictual power to an insane degree. And what do I mean by this? I mean, like, if you like, imagine the guy in the bar who's willing to fight you over getting a seat at the bar. Like, he's more worried about not backing down than he is about anything, including getting a seat, because if he fights you, he's getting thrown out. He's not getting that seat, but he can't let you win he can't, he can't back down. Not backing down is his highest value. Like, he values it more than his teeth. He values it more than his freedom. He values it more than being able to have a drink. And we permit unaccountable power. And normally I think about this in terms of billionaires. There's sort of no way to undo the power of a billionaire, no matter what they do. There's no way to make them not a billionaire anymore. They have so much power that no one can take their power away. That's really dangerous. People are not good people when you give them that, that assurance of the absence of consequence. In a much more immediate way, police are like this. No one can take the police powers away from the police. Not even the police. This is why the few bad apples thing doesn't help, right? Because you have a few bad apples, but nobody can throw them out of the barrel. Then, you know, we've got barrel problems as well as bad apple problems. And you hear about this also with the, the military in terms of 
you know, we get we get presidents who don't like wars, and they get into, into the seat of power, and all of a sudden they're like, yeah, hey, you know, war's not that bad. And that's because the military has so much power in so many different ways that they cannot be gainsaid. I mean, I heard the I heard a mayor uh, say, you know, talk about how the inability to call police into account quickly and straightforwardly was baked into the walls of the city hall. Baked into the walls, like the the phrase he used. Like, he couldn't make anyone charge that cop. And those last two points, the, the value and conflictual power and permitting unaccountable power are authoritarian values. And that's those values that I listed are enacted in the way that the country is governed, irrespective of how people feel about it, irrespective of how people think about it. That is what is going on right now in our country. That is how the country is governed at the end of the day, among a million other things. But those are the problematic ones that I think are relevant to this conversation. And the reason that I wanted to do this podcast predominantly was because as, as dangerous and immoral and catastrophic as police violence is, a lot of police violence and a lot of police stuff is downstream from other problems, right? There are a bunch of problems that are police problems because we let them become or made them become police problems. The war on drugs. War on drugs was made up by the Nixon administration to undo the political power of his opponents, specifically targeted black people because black people were a source of political power in opposition to Nixon and they smoked weed. So he made up the drug war on drugs as a race-oriented power play. That wasn't a police problem. Drugs were not a police problem in the 18th century, in the 17th century, at any point in human history, up until the 19th and 20th centuries. We created a police problem when we had a public health problem. But now it's a police problem. Why is it a police problem now? Because we have a lot of drug addicts, because law enforcement is the wrong way to deal with the problem. So the problem's gotten worse. Why is it a police problem? Because now we have drug cartels. You can't just eliminate the police while you have drug cartels. You have to deal with the fact that we've made a, a public health problem into a police problem and then necessitate it, create a situation in which the police are necessary. Looting is another kind of, and theft generally, these property crimes. You know who commits property crimes? Desperate people. Desperation is not a police problem. That's an economics problem. We don't have to have desperate people in this country, and you wouldn't use police to stop them from being desperate. But once you have desperate people, you have a police problem. Economic mobility goes along with that. Minimum wage goes into that. Schooling, education, economic opportunities. If people had a way to follow the rules, make a living, and be okay, we wouldn't need police anywhere near to the degree that we do. We've created problems, and then because we have the values that we do, because we're a racist authoritarian country who misunderstands what merit is about, and because we don't care about people, we care about money, turned economic opportunity problems into police problems. Police brutality is where the rubber meets the throat of a bunch of these problems. But it is the police are not what caused these dynamics to be problematic. 
The police are how we cope with having allowed these problems to become so bad. The reason I thought of the car analogy in the first place was because what we're seeing is we're seeing cascade failure. When a system generically starts to run poorly, the individual subsystems of that system that relied upon one another start to degrade faster. And because we run the entire country badly, because of a bunch of bad values, as those systems become more stressed, they stress other systems that are already stressed. And you start to get positive feedback loops of failure, which is what happens when you don't change the oil in your car and the oil filter gums up. And then the oil pump has to push harder to get oil through the oil filter. And then the oil filter, then the oil pump fails. And then your car explodes. You get tens of thousands of miles. In a Corolla, you probably get, you know, 150,000 miles of gradual decrease in utility. It goes slower, it runs hotter, it's more likely to break down, blah, blah, blah. And then at a certain point, the old oil pump, which was old and tired and couldn't really do its job in the new car, is fighting against bad old oil and a gummed up oil filter. And then when it fails, if you run the engine, the engine explodes. I watched, I watched a cop shoot a non-lethal bullet at a TV camera. A TV camera, right? Because policing is not the way to deal with these problems. So the police have an impossible job. And when you give somebody an impossible job, they don't do the job that you said you wanted them to do. They do something close to or related to what you asked them to do because they can't do what you asked them to do because it was impossible. Policing is a stupid idea and it's not the right way to deal with any of this, any of this shit. And so you get bad people doing policing because it's a bad job that can't be done right. Qualified people don't do jobs that can't be done right. People of good moral character don't participate in a system of oppression. Like, I'm sure that people here protect and serve don't know what they're talking about and go, oh, I want to protect and serve. I'm sure there are good people in police departments everywhere, certainly when they start. But do they last 20 years to be end, up, end up being captain? Do they end up lasting 30 years? To run a precinct to be the chief of police in a big city? Maybe. But that's less likely than having someone who's okay with having an impossible job. Who's okay with doing a job that's thematically related to the job that they took. We need to address police accountability directly. The laws around how police are held accountable for their behavior needs to change. And I have no idea how to make that happen. But we also need to take things off their plate. We need to enact, we need to become a better country. We need to govern by better values than the values that we currently govern by. Because if we weren't racist, if we weren't authoritarian, if we had respect and concern for the well-being of the citizenry, which seems fundamental to the basic operation of a country, then a lot of the problems that, th that make policing impossible wouldn't become police problems. And that's the thing that, I, that is not obvious when an armed agent of the government tortures a man to death in broad daylight 
in front of four cameras. Right? I'm, I'm going to a protest later about this. Police brutality, the racist police brutality that is endemic in our culture is independently a huge problem. And it is the loudest problem this week. And 100,000 Americans, we, we hit 100,000 this week. And it wasn't the loudest thing in the room. That's how bad this is. But there are parts of this problem that police brutality are a symptom of. And if we try and cure the symptom, we will not cure the disease. We need to address the fact that we run our country as if we were a racist authoritarian police state on behalf of money and not people. Thank you for listening.